and welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget for the first time in what feels like a really long time. I feel like I wasn't uh, able to do anything leading up to Berlin, but it's, (laughs) it's nice to be back with you. It's so good to be back. Congratulations. I mean, what an absolute just breakthrough race on a day where there was all of this kind of fun energy. And I just, I loved hearing, you know, you and I texting a little bit and listening to your podcast, talking about that experience. How are you feeling? Yeah, I feel, um, I feel good. I like, I think that the thoughts that I talked about in, in the podcast, so like a 45 minute podcast, if anyone wants to listen to it, like those are kind of the same things that I'm feeling now. I feel like I, so after I ran Chicago in 2019 and I, like that was a big PR for me and it was like 323 and I was just like elated. And I don't know why I'm not elated. Like 310 Mm. is a a great time. It's obviously a huge PR, but I feel like it's been, it's something that I've been like capable of for a little while now. So it kind of just feels like check the box, got it done. and, And now what? And so I'm having a hard time, like, I don't know, letting it sink in. So that's that's kind of where I am. I, I couldn't really walk after <laughs> the race. I think it, I mean, it was just like inflammation in my post hip yeah. and some calf stuff. And with kind of just taking it easy for a week, it it's pretty much gone. I still have a little bit of stuff, but it's like nice. 99% gone. So, you know, just take it easy the week after a marathon. You don't need to run again. I was like texting Dina yeah. and like texting Ayn and they were both like, you just ran a marathon. Like, you know, what I mean? <laughs> why don't you just not run? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's been, it was really, really fun to watch everything in Chicago. Like actually, so we left Michigan the day before the, the marathon and we had a layover. It was only like an hour and a half in Chicago. And I was like, what if our like flight happened to be delayed or canceled? And like worst yeah. case scenario, we needed to stay in Chicago. Um, but that, that didn't happen. We got home, but um, yeah, had some FOMO, looked like a great day. It did look like a great mm-hmm. day. I love, I mean, I've only ever spectated the Chicago Marathon. I was there last year and it's, it is a city similar to New York. It knows how to do a race. It's a fun one. And uh, looked like a great, a great day. Some, some big, <laughs> some, some big, some big times, some big performances. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say just like reflecting on Berlin and I, I ran Chicago, yeah, four years ago. Um, I think I like Chicago better just in terms of like oh. the logistics in Berlin aren't hard, but it's, and I, I talked about this a little bit. It's just so crowded the entire way. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think. Chicago has a little bit more of like a New York, Boston atmosphere. It's not quite as like uh, engaging from a crowd perspective, but like there's, I don't know, it's cool to run through the neighborhoods. Maybe, maybe my feelings on Berlin are a little bit tainted just because I literally couldn't see anything except the person in front of me and the ground. Um, Just because you're focused on like not bumping into someone. And then I was really trying to stay on that tangent line, (laughs) but (laughs) it didn't really happen. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that like running an international marathon is really fun and it's a bucket list item. And it's so cool because you can just be like, where are you from? Where are you from? Like, and then you just meet friends in the airport. Oh, wait, no, I forgot. I need to say something. Speaking of meeting friends in the airport. <laughs> because I recorded the episode before this happened. I'm like, when, when is this, is this, ha- when is this thing coming up? <laughs> so 
<laughs> I flew from Berlin to Frankfurt to make my way back to the United States. And we're like boarding the flight in Berlin to Frankfurt, but we're not even boarding it. They take you in like a little shuttle bus. Um, and then they yeah. take you out to the runway to board your flight. And I'm getting off the bus and I see this guy in like, I guess he was wearing all black, but he has like someone wearing white next to him. And then I see like, it says Ineos on his pants. And I'm like, I know you. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh my God, Elliot Kipchoge's on my flight. And so we're walking on the plane and I'm a jerk and I flew business class. Um, and he like goes to his row and it's row five. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God, I'm sitting next to Elliot Kipchoge. And unfortunately we were just in the same row, not seatmates, but a lot of people like stopped, like went into his seat to take pictures with him, which kind of wasn't cool. And oh. the handler had to like come yeah. up and like sit in the seat to like kind of protect him. But you know, he's just like a normal dude. But then the funniest thing was the seat was empty but like so many, you know, a lot, it was a lot of runners, a lot of people that knew who he was. But then there's like this group of like Japanese businessmen that get on the plane. <laughs> and no the idea. guy that said yeah. actually literally had no idea who he was sitting next to. That's probably it perfect, perfect, honestly. It like, was hilarious. And then the but the guy sitting next to me knew and we were, he was like, do you think I should say something? Like, do you think I should go up and take a picture? And I was like, I think, you know, he just run a marathon, like he was kind of bombarded on the plane. Like just, you know, see what's, yeah. what's happening afterwards. Like, I think I'm going to give him his space. And so we get off the plane, yeah. but he's like, I thought he was just going to like make a beeline and leave, but he like stays yeah. in the little area right outside the plane and people are taking pictures with him. So I just go up to him and I, here's the thing. A lot of people went up to him and didn't ask permission. They were just like stood next to him as if like he's oh, an object. A prop. Yeah. Like, and yeah. so I was just like, do you mind? I'm so sorry. Can I take a picture? And he was like, last one. And he like took a picture with me. But then of course, 17 more people didn't ask permission. Yeah. They just kind of went up. But um, yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, so kind of surreal. What's really funny too is um, I've been working with this dietitian, Megan Featherston, who a lot of people probably know, and she was there with Abbott. And so she got to like party with Kipchoge before or like, or like right after the marathon. And I think she either texted me a picture or I saw her post it on Instagram. And I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. And then so... After I got my picture, I texted her and I was like, I got one too. <laughs> so we were just laughing. Just a class, like a class act. What a like cherry mm -hmm. on top. I love, I love the whole story. Um, yeah. I've never met him, but I feel like the stories that I hear about people that have met him are just affirming of the person that you hope that he is. Of course. Right. Like that's the thing too. It's like, you don't want to like, don't meet your, don't meet your, your heroes. heroes. Be... It can be really bad. But um, yeah. yeah, so I was thinking of, you know, my good pal Elliot on Sunday when his world record was broken, but um, yeah. I, th I mean, he's the type of person that I think is like, bring it on. Like, I mean, it wasn't that kind of what he said when he said know. it? He, it was he something it's, more poetic. He hasn't tweeted about it or like posted about it. So oh. I'm, oh, I wonder what his feelings are, but you know, we didn't exchange digits. So although he was like <laughs> on his phone and I'm like, wonder, I'm wondering if I can like airdrop him something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Maybe not. So well, how, how are you? I'm good. I'm going off to Chicago tomorrow just for a long weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. I love this time of year and the Midwest right now is 
full of gorgeous fall colors. So I'm looking forward to that and just seeing some people that I worked with last year and going back to good restaurants and things that you kind of miss. So, um, so like things are good running a little bit here and there. Um, I don't, I don't know, like racing is not something that I've done, but then I like hear you talk about it. And then like, you know, we go up to SFRC and we talk to people and I'm like, I want part of that. And I think part of it is I just, I need to like rip the bandaid off and do something small. So maybe turkey I was going to say, I think we need to, um, I think it needs to be a turkey trot. Yeah. So I do. I love the turkey trot. I think it's so fun. It's such a fun, we have so many good ones. Yeah. Like, you know, there's the, the Silicon Valley, but then there's a lot of, you know, smaller local ones. The Silicon Valley is a local one, uh, but there are smaller races that are happening all yeah. around the Bay. So I think that is really fun. And SFRC is always teasing us um, and hosts amazing races of their own. Um, and trails is kind of a fun place to jump back in because you don't, I don't have all of the baggage of what I can do on the roads um, or what I could have done on the roads, what I have done on the roads on the trails. So that's kind of where my head's at with running. But for right now, it's actually just that's fun. Good. Like, yeah, I think good. that yeah. makes sense. And like, I mean, racing in the past has given me a ton of anxiety. I don't know why it hasn't this year because my goals haven't gone away, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's a, it's kind of a cyclical thing. Like sometimes I'm super into it and sometimes I'm just like, don't need to do it. Um, well, let's talk a little yeah. bit about our guest for this episode, Risel Berger, who actually reached out to us, which I love that. Like, please send us an email, tell us your story. Yeah. We don't know everyone, but we want to. And we want to hear from you and we want to have you on the podcast and just kind of hearing her journey to running and, you know, some of the the challenges that she faced was really candid about some struggles with an eating disorder when she was younger. And her role as a psychiatric pharmacist is super interesting. And we talk a lot about that. And yeah, just like another amazing human that runs in the Bay Area. Yeah. I mean, I think she's a great, a great person who has navigated running at different mm-hmm. stages. You know, she ran competitively and had the kind of early on um, the high school experience of feeling the weight of pressure early on and then has come back around to running as an adult and now as a, um, as a mother. And I just think that it's, it's her story is, is one of someone who's... Sorry. <laughs> Hello. Wait, sorry. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> maybe just turned her camera. So then now I'm just looking at Ellie. Um, but yeah, I, I love what she has to say and about, you know, her integrative approach to mental health and kind of the, the the thoughts around, you know, the pros and cons of using running as a therapeutic tool. Um, she speaks really well to all of that. So this is a great episode for right now. And uh, we enjoyed talking with her. Um, and we hope that you enjoy this episode with Rizal Berger. Hello and welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast today. We're so excited to have Risel Berger with us who just wrote us like the most lovely email and I took too long to get back to her. I felt so bad, but your your email just like captured our heart and we were like, we have to talk to her. This is going to be such a, a fun conversation. So thanks for reaching out and thanks for being here. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm 
I'm so excited about this. So we like to get started by just talking about maybe, did you run today? And if so, how did it go? And if not, tell us a highlight of your day. Uh, I did run today. Um, so I actually, my birthday was on Sunday. And so for this year, I did a little running adventure. So I ran from my home to Stinson Beach, which is about 25 miles on trails. Wow. Usual for me. So I'm still a little sore, but today's run was just uh, a run commute to the downtown and back. Nice. And um, it, I'm still pretty sore. So it was slow going, but good to just get out and get moving. Yeah. Happy belated. Um, Yay, Leo. Like do you, do you, Sorry. Plug, yeah, plug yeah, for Leo season. season. Anyway. <laughs> is run commuting a usual thing? Is like birthday adventure run a usual thing? Are we you know, these outliers? Yeah. So run commuting has become a usual thing um, over the past couple of years since I had my daughter, just because that's when there's time and my offices are close enough where it's not a, an insane distance to go. And so when, when it works out, if I don't have big meetings or anything too important, um, then I'll give it a go for run commuting. And the, the birthday running adventure is a bit newer. Um, this particular run, I think about five years ago, I did a trail race that was a pretty similar route. And since then, I've been wanting to do it again. And um, I mean, it, it took quite a long time. So I don't usually have, have that much time to be able to to go out and run and get picked up at the end. But for my birthday, the, that was a lot. Awesome. <laughs> was that a solo pursuit or did you run with friends? I ended up running alone for most of it. And then I had a couple of friends who like biking. And so they met me along the course to give me extra water and electrolytes. So I had a bit of support. <laughs> That's great. So nice. I love that. What, um, what's an early memory of running for you? So I started running in high school. Um, Prior to high school, when I was in middle school, it was a very religious Jewish school and girls generally didn't do much in the way of sports. And so I I didn't really play any sports. And then for high school, I went to a public high school where I grew up in Philadelphia. And um, when I started, I wanted to get involved in something. And so freshman year, um, towards the end of the year, I thought I would um, try out for soccer. And... So in the winter, the soccer team from the year before started getting in shape. And so we'd run through the hallways and do push-ups and sit-ups. And so I was able to like run through the hallways and do push-ups and sit-ups. I thought, hey, I'm really good at soccer. And then the actual tryouts came and it turns out I didn't know how to play soccer. So that's (laughs) what happened. But I'd heard about this sport called cross-country. Never heard of it before. But um, somebody, a classmate told me that, oh, it's easy. All you do is run three miles. And at the time I thought, three miles? I could never do that. So over that, that summer, I started just running back and forth on my block until I got to one mile and then built up the endurance, got to three miles. And then I joined cross country. Turns out no one else had really prepared over the summer. So I was able to keep going. Like, oh, you're pretty good. So yeah, I started running in 10th grade doing cross country. And then they roped me into track, indoor and outdoor track and kind of been going ever since. <laughs> so yeah, that first year in high school, it was so fun to run. We had a really good community, um, had lots of team experiences. And um, then, you know, as <laughs> as the years went on, there was a bit more pressure, mostly self-induced pressure. And I became kind of a head case, but it still was overall a really positive experience. And yeah, I've been running. So it's been see, 23 years. Wow. <laughs> When you think about sort of like the setting of a goal of, well, cross country is three miles. So I need to get to this by the end of the summer. Like, 
What did your training look like? Was it try to get it to one mile today? Like, do you have a, a memory of that first time that you purposefully went for a run and, and what that felt like? I think so. So I remember thinking, so this was a long time, long time ago before um, GPS watches and even, I don't even know if there's any way to map it. So I always thought that 10 city blocks was a mile. So the goal was to get to 10 city blocks. I think I started doing a couple. And then once I built up to 10 blocks, I started to get bored of just going back and forth. And so then I started going out in the neighborhood. So I did a a one mile loop and then slowly increased. Um, And so I got to explore my neighborhood on foot a bit more too. But yeah, it was one block at a time. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I think like... Like I remember living in New York City and yes, followed the same rule that 10 city blocks was a mile. So that sounds right. That's accurate. The GPS must confirm it. Um, Yeah, good enough. So running in high school, like did you have any aspirations to run collegiately to, you know, what was your sort of perspective on competition? You mentioned that maybe the pressure was like self-induced. Was it about beating yourself, beating others, being able to run in college? What did that look like? Oh, about all of that. So yeah, my first year running, I had no expectations and so I surpassed all of them. So that was great. And I, my personality is such that high achiever. So I was a strong academic student. And and so I thought, okay, the running is going to be my other thing. And so um, after my junior year of high school, my goal was to win the cross country, it was called the Public League uh, mm-hmm. Championship. And I had been winning most of our league meets during that year. And then for the championship, built it up in my brain for weeks. And everyone thought, oh, you're totally going to win. You're totally going to win. And then the race came and I got, um, I must have been a panic attack or I don't know. I got like jelly legs and was hyperventilating. And so then I, I stumbled across the finish line, but didn't win. And then I think our team lost by one point. So it was, you know, devastating for high school. And so then came back senior year, was thinking that I would win and then similar kind of things. So Definitely a head case, but I did end up running for a couple of years in college. Um, I walked onto the team and um, trained with them, but that was a whole nother experience. It wasn't the best fit, um, wasn't like the healthiest running culture either. And so I had a couple of injuries and wasn't very good either. So only raced a couple of times a season. And then um, after two years, talked with a coach and I kind of had a lingering injury that wasn't going away. So I decided to stop doing that, but continue training on my own. And so I ran my first marathon when I was still in college. So when I was 20 and then did a lot of road racing, my 20s. That's cool. It sounds like maybe without the pressures of being on a team, you almost like healed that relationship with running. Like was the marathon kind of a way to get away from, it sounds like this pressure and, and feeling like you weren't finding the right people yeah, I think it was a bit of that. Um, it was a lot of time to be on on the cross country and track team in college. So we'd have practice twice a day before and after class, and then I had classes all day. And so having the flexibility to train on my own helped a lot. And then um, even at practice, we wouldn't be running the whole time. It would be a lot of standing around and meetings. And so it really freed up a lot of time to have flexibility and run on my own. So, Yeah. It became something to do on your own terms. Yes. Yeah. Something that really stuck out to me in your email, and I think you and I um, sort of have a similar journey in this, although sounds like it happened for you earlier than it happened for me. So I applaud you for that, is 
using running as a way to heal from an eating disorder. I know that in a lot of cases, it's the opposite, right? Like you get into running and all of the pressures to be small and, you know, whether it's from coaches, from other athletes, or it's just a culture that can sort of exacerbate the problem. Um, it sounds like from you, and, and certainly in my experience, I had a pretty severe eating disorder before and I discovered running and it became clear to me that like, I loved this. And if this was something that I wanted to continue to do, then I needed to eat and figure out a way to heal. And it sounds like that was your journey as well. And so I'm wondering if you're comfortable just talking a little bit about, a little bit more about that, about running as healing and sort of walking that line. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, I developed an eating disorder around seventh and eighth grade. So still in middle school and obviously eating disorders are, are multifactorial. And so for me, transitioning from a religious school to a public high school, it was a really a nice change for me. I had a lot more freedom to explore who, who I was going to end up being. Um, and then I also, you know, I, I was always a good student. And um, I think through my eating disorder, started to develop an interest in nutrition. And so I knew that, you know, once I, I talked about the soccer team before, I think um, once I started practicing with them, I was staying at school late. So I knew I'd need energy in order to run through the hallways and do the push-ups. And so started eating a bit more then. And then once I started running, it really is, um, and I think this is true for a lot of mental illness, like as your life becomes bigger, then your illness becomes mm-hmm. smaller. And that was very true for me. So once running and, um, you know, trying to, compete well and, and do that. Once that became bigger in my life, then just the weight goal or, or what the eating disorder thoughts became a lot smaller. And I won't say that it was one, two, like I was completely cured. It was still a process. Um, and, you know, there's still times when thoughts come in or certain behaviors. And I'm like very acutely aware of diet culture and comments that people say, but, um, you know, it, it does feel like a, it was a really transformational time. And, and running definitely helped me to explore myself and, and figure out who I was outside of just mm-hmm. the eating disorder. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think you're right. As your world becomes bigger, the thoughts around an eating disorder become smaller, but also when you're in it, your world has to be small. Like there's no space for anything else. And I think it's the most freeing thing in the world when you go through a day and you realize like, I haven't thought at all about that today. And then you're like, let's see if I can go two days. Let's see if I can, you know, just sort of the the possibilities that open up in your life. And it's not like you said, it's not, it's not sort of a um a switch that you can flip on and off, but it's once you kind of reach that place where that becomes a smaller part of your life, like the possibilities to do more are endless and it's exciting. Yeah, I think it becomes an ongoing practice to to just live your life and and not have. You know, I think in the beginning you have to consciously practice certain things, and then at some point you look back and say, "Oh, you know, I, I'm kind of just doing this thing and living my life without mm-hmm. these thoughts controlling me anymore." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think running and my history also led me towards you know my current career. Um, yeah, so I developed the interest in nutrition. And so I ended up majoring in nutrition in college. That turned out to be a really great major to prep you for either pre-med or pre-pharmacy. And so I ended up going the pharmacy route. And um, 
So now I'm a mental health clinical pharmacist. And so I work in the mental health field and so definitely have a lot of uh, day-to-day interactions with people struggling. And um, I try to have an integrative approach and, and talk about nutrition. I work for the San Francisco Department of Public Health. So um, a lot of low-income folks and might have limited budgets and limited ability to have ideal mm-hmm. nutrition. But it's definitely a thing I, I try to talk about with most of my patients. As a pharmacist, like what is, and you have a private, you also have a private practice, right? Or am I incorrect with that? Yeah, that's a new thing. I just started this year as um, a private practice side. Congratulations. That's that's super exciting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get it up off the ground. What does that look like from a pharmacological perspective as a pharmacist? So I think pharmacist, I think medication, right? But it sounds like you said you take an integrative approach. Like how do you how do you sort of marry the two? Well, that's I'm still trying to figure that out. So um, a lot of people don't know. Most pharmacists after they graduate school will go to work in a retail pharmacy. Um, but there's a growing field of clinical pharmacy where um, people work in hospitals or in outpatient clinics as part of a, an integrative team. Um, and so I work in a for the Department of Public Health again. Um, so my my main place that I work is the outpatient mental health clinic. So I have a team of psychiatrists, therapists, case managers. And so in my DPH role, I'm able to carry a caseload and prescribe medications for my patients. So um, I'll start meds, adjust doses, and then just monitor their symptoms and see how they're doing. And um, of course, treating mental illness, medications is just one of the tools in the toolboxes. And so I'm also asking about sleep and diet and exercise and mindfulness and yoga and other things. Um, and so in that way, even though we can't access all the resources, there are some free resources and some things that are available that we can try to link them to. And so in that way, I try to bring an integrative approach. I'm also currently um, enrolled in a reproductive integrative psychiatry fellowship. So learning more about alternative treatments. And that's, that's a work in progress. So I'm, I'm getting through that, but hopefully we'll be able to bring that back to my patients at TPH and then also use that in the private practice, which will be working with psychiatrists on um, so like in-depth medication questions. So if they have questions, they can email me and I can look up the answer and, and give advice based on both my clinical experience and looking through the literature and also hoping to work with patients who have questions about their mental health, um, be it medications or these other approaches. Incredible. Like this conversation is so important. And I think it's hopefully it's, I mean, it sounds like you are at the forefront of it and that there's a growing kind of support and that this is maybe being included in these conversations more, but is that true? Like, you know, does it feel like this is kind of the start of layering on all of these, all of these pieces? Um, are there other people that are doing this? <laughs> like, <laughs> There's definitely, a, at least I've seen, we're in the Bay Area, so there's a lot of interest in integrative approaches. And I think that's true for a lot of bigger cities, maybe. Um, I think access is still a really big problem. And so um, a lot of the practitioners, I think most practitioners know that all these things are important and there might be varying levels of knowledge on, and the depth of the different resources available. Um, but yeah, just getting patients to the practitioners and um, spreading the information, I think is still a big barrier. So yeah, I'm hoping to be able to reach more people 
I, um, I don't know if you guys, <laughs> what's up? I don't have much of a social media presence. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that might be something I need to work on in the future, but I so far haven't needed it for my career. So I've avoided joining those things, but um, I understand that they can be important for it's hard. working. <laughs> It's a double-edged sword. Social, like social media, can also be terrible for your mental health. So, like, where, where do you, yeah, how do you balance it? Right. I'm curious your thoughts on this. So, like, we all know that okay, taking an integrative approach to mental health, diet, exercise, meditation, breath work, sleep, plus good drugs are all really, really important, right? But something that is kind of one of my pet peeves is when people say like running is my therapy or yoga is my therapy. And I I especially worry about that because then it becomes the moment that that's taken away, whether that's through injury or for whatever reason, like you suddenly don't have the ability to cope with the things in front of you. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that. I think for me personally, like running is a huge component of my mental health, but it particularly when I was pregnant and it was taken away from me, like it became very clear very quickly that like, even though I didn't think I was using running as therapy, I was. So I'm just curious your experience and your thoughts on that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, for me, I started running in a competition sense. And so I, a lot of my self-worth was tied up in running performance. And I'll say I um, was able to run through my pregnancy I'm not one of those people who seems like they're going to be faster after it's been over two years and that's not happening. So I'm kind of having to accept that competition is going to look different or maybe slower and um, still working on accepting that. But, um, you know, I think sometimes running, even though it can be beneficial for mental health, if that's the only tool in the toolbox, then exactly. If that gets taken away, then, then what? Um, And so I think it's important to have to dig down deeper under that and still have a sense of self-worth and still feel like a valuable person who's, who can eat right. <laughs> even if you're not running. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's one of the things that can be beneficial and there's tons of studies looking at exercise. Exercise is good for everything, physical, mental, spiritual, but it can't be the only thing. Got to have, got to be well-rounded. I think uh, being well-rounded and balanced is, is very important. How do you think pregnancy and having uh, a kid has changed your perspective on running? Um, that's a good question. I, I mean, it was all tied up with the pandemic as well. And so, you know, before the pandemic, I didn't really listen to music or podcasts while I was running. And so um, over the past few years, I've been devouring mm-hmm. podcasts. And so it, in some ways, it helps me feel very connected to the running community, especially because I don't have time to join a running group right now. Um, but also interviewing all the, the big stars and hearing people who are super fast, it can be a little hard to not play the comparison game. So yeah, I think I, I think I know I could put in a ton of time and energy into running and hiring a coach and doing workouts um, in order to have a decent performance. Or I could even like overwork myself and, and get a good performance. But I think there's an underlying understanding that I want to continue running for as long as possible. And so I've been, you know, trying to engage in a bit more recovery. I, I do weight training. I've, I've done it for a while, but I've started working with a trainer in my 30s and been continuing that and looking to get physical therapy. So I want to make sure that 
my body stays healthy and, and try to stop ignoring all those pains and niggles and stuff so that um so that I can continue for as long as possible because I feel like that that feels more important than any single event. Yeah, I had that actually like a very similar conversation with my coach today of now that I'm like saying it back, I'm like, duh. But <laughs> just because you could do something doesn't mean you should do something. And like, how do you evaluate that? Because I'm a, I'm sort of like type A, if I'm going to do something, I want to go all in. And so then you have to evaluate, well, is that the right thing to do? And I think that that changes and shifts throughout your life and the different phases that you go through. Yeah. I remember before my first marathon, I was super nervous. And so I couldn't sleep that night and was up just worrying. And the way that I was able to calm myself was saying like, this isn't the end of running. Like this marathon, you'll still be like, there's more races, there's more running to be had. And and that way it was calming. So just trying to not put all the pressure on any single event. That's, that's been a helpful strategy for me because there's other races, like I've DNF, a handful of races. Um, there's, there's always going to be more hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. You've done, you know, marathons, road races, trails, you mentioned some uh, shenanigans. So like what, (laughs) you know, what, what stands out as, as kind of highlights in, in running and maybe it's, maybe it's not even races. I mean, I love just a good run that wasn't timed and you didn't have a, Yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of things that come to mind. So when I was in pharmacy school, I was in Baltimore And um, I was looking for a volunteer opportunity, but wanted to do something outside of the world of pharmacy. So I discovered an organization called Back on My Feet. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. So they had a chapter in Baltimore. And so it's um, the organization will go to homeless shelters and uh, provide running shoes and running clothes for the people living there. And then they'll have groups of volunteers um, meet up with them in the morning and go for a run or, you know, some people might start with walking and then uh, progress to running. And so I joined and volunteered with them for about a year and a half and ended up being like the team coach for about six months. And it was really, it was fun and super meaningful. So it was nice to be able to help people through running. Um, I think I was able to get a couple of people to run the Baltimore Marathon um, with my training plan. And I wasn't a certified coach. It was very casual, but I knew how to increase long runs and stuff. Um, but also meeting the other volunteers was really great. And so that, you know, I did it for about a year and a half. Once school got busier, I wasn't able to do it. The runs were all at 530 in the morning. And so that just became <laughs> difficult with clinicals. Um, but it's, it's still been on my mind. So I really love to do that for a long time. And I developed new friendships. And so, yeah, every time I, I've moved quite a bit and every time I've moved somewhere, um, I've used running as a way to meet people. You know, going to a running club, that's a great way to meet friends. So that's been really fun. And then um, another story that, that I was thought was fun. So when I was also in pharmacy school, my younger sister had graduated college and she decided she wanted to run her first half marathon. And it was in the winter, I think it was 2008 or 2009, and she graduated in December. And so there weren't a lot of races available. So we were Googling everywhere and then we found half marathon in Bermuda. I was like, yeah, I guess I could go to Bermuda. And so it turns out there's this event called the Bermuda Triangle Challenge. So on Friday, you run a one mile race, Saturday, a 10K, and then Sunday, a half marathon or a marathon. And then you disappear. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And then you vanish from the face of the earth. Just kidding. So I originally signed up for the half challenge because, you know, I'm I'm not crazy. And um, so then we go and... 
ran the one mile. And I think I had done pretty well competitively wise. And at the time I was also single. And so I thought, you know, I'm in Bermuda. Let's scope out what's out there. And so the man who won the mile was not too harsh on the eyes. So um, we were kind of looking at him and turns out he stayed in our hotel. And so we became friendly with him and there was another other groups of people who were doing this challenge. And so, um, so the next day was the 10K. So I ran the 10K. And then my original goal for the half marathon, I was hoping to PR for some reason. And then I realized after running the 10K that I would have to run a faster pace in the half marathon than the 10K. So that probably wasn't going to happen. So my mind is like, well, maybe if I switch to the marathon, that way I could just run easier and don't have to worry about my pace. So I asked the race directors and they're like, oh, that's interesting. Usually people want to go the other way, but sure, I don't see why not. So I ended up switching to the marathon at the last minute. Also was hoping to impress this cute guy. And um, so then I ended up running the marathon and this was my fourth one. And before that, I didn't really believe in race nutrition. So I'd have like a little bit of Gatorade, but that's about it. And then um, one of the other women I was running with gave me a gel and was like, Hold on to this. <laughs> this might help. <laughs> yeah. And turns out that it did. So I had the gel, like ran the second half of the marathon faster than the first, like PR'd at the time. Ended up getting fifth overall in the marathon. It was oh. a small race, but it was still, still international. And so there was a cash prize for that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, I won money, like won the challenge. And definitely impressed the guy who turned out to be there with his boyfriend. Oh no, so I thought you were going to say who, and now he's my husband, but... Yeah, <laughs> you know that's hilarious. We love a supportive gay character. This is great. Yeah, so that was definitely a, a good adventure. So felt like a a good a good. That is a great story. I love that. <laughs> Let's take it back to your first marathon, which you said you ran when you were twenty. Is that right? And so, if mm-hmm. I'm doing my math correctly, we are about a year apart in age. So. Um, this is before Taylor Swift even released her first album. So we're talking mid 2000s. Um, and like, there's not a whole lot on like social, there is not really social media. Like Twitter doesn't exist at that time. You know, there's Facebook, but like, where are you getting your information from? Like, how are you knowing what to do, what not to do? I think at that time, like GPS watches were still they still weighed like six pounds and were like $700. Like, what did that look like? Not to age us. We're, we're young. Like, we're super young. But yeah. <laughs> I don't remember how I signed up for that marathon. I remember there was a time when you had to like mail in registration for races. But I feel like by then, the internet was a thing. So I, I can't remember if I registered online or it was... I think it must have been yeah. online. I mean, the internet was definitely a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then for training, um, I mean, I had a bit of an idea of training because I'd been running for a few years by then. And then um, Hal Higdon has marathon plans. So I oh, yeah. Plans. Classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly did that. Um, yeah, so long runs during the week runs and it was good enough. <laughs> what marathon was it? It was the Philadelphia Marathon. So. My, I have not run long that time, one. Yeah. yeah. It was a good course um, because I got to see parts of the city that I normally don't see. I, I kind of love marathons for that when, yeah. when they do when they have a good representation of the city. The Baltimore Marathon too. You kind of go through different parts that normally you don't see. So um, yeah, it was it was a fun time. Um, 
it was hard, especially without gels. I was very yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if you didn't know, I mean, classic mistake, right? You don't, uh, yeah. first marathon, getting the nutrition right is a lifelong challenge. Um, <laughs> but what do you, like, did you have a bonk? Did you end up walking? Like, what did that first race look like? And how long before the next race? Like, were you immediately signing up? So I don't think I had a bonk or hit the wall, but it just gradually hurt more and more. I do remember getting emotional at mile Mm. 25, like just almost crying just because 25 miles, that's 100 divided by four. (laughs) So that number stuck out to me. Um, And then at the finish, I was just in a lot of pain. So I kind of got through, you know, I still probably had a good amount of fitness from running cross country and track. So that kind of led over. And then the next marathon I did, um, maybe like six or eight months later. So I didn't sign up right away, but I eventually got there. Um, I was still in school, so it was, and I didn't have any money to travel, pay for marathon <laughs> registration. So I didn't dive right in, but um, eventually did some more. What brought you to the trails? Like, how did you discover that as a thing? Oh yeah, so um, I moved out to California. Um, in 2011, moved away for a little bit, but came out here and then people ran trails Mm -hmm. here. So um, I I was with a running group when I first came out here. And so some of them would run on the trails, but I don't know if you had this experience. Well, coming from the East Coast, trail running wasn't as big at the time. So I'd never run on a trail before. And running was very much like you check your pace and if you're slower, like that's not great. And so trail running is obviously not like that. So my first few trail runs, I hated it because it was so hard and it was so much slower. And I'm like, this sucks. But I eventually, you know, with some support, okay, it's, it's a different kind of beast. And so now it's still challenging and I don't do it all the time, but I, I do enjoy it. What brought you out to California? Um, so residency. So after pharmacy school, um, like I said, you can go to work, but if you want a more clinical position, it's highly recommended to do a residency. And most people will look at programs and look for um, like ones that have things that they're interested in. But I, I had visited San Francisco and I was in school with a friend and fell in love. I was like, I don't, I don't know if California would ever take me. <laughs> and so then when I was looking for programs, I kind of applied all over the country and then the VA San Francisco, I don't know if you've ever seen the cafeteria, the view from the cafeteria, but it's overlooking Land's End. Oh, so wow. I saw that and said, I want to come here. And then I ended up matching with this program. So a very mature decision. <laughs> but it worked out. So. It worked out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you find? So you were, you know, you're definitely a member of the running community on the East Coast. Like, what are some observations about the differences between the West Coast, San Francisco vibe versus East Coast, Philly, like Maryland, Baltimore? Um, I think there's a lot more like casual chill. It's it's kind of like the whole difference in the vibes between East Coast and West Coast where things are more laid back on the West Coast. And there's certainly serious runners out here, of course. Um, but there's also a lot of other runners who are more laid back about it. Whereas, um, feels, it felt very intense on the East coast, wherever Mm -hmm. you were. You mentioned that like, you don't really have time right now to like have a coach or join a running club, but that the way that you meet your friends is through running and through running community. Can you talk a little bit more about how you go about doing that and how you have the, cause I'm always impressed by people that have the confidence to just show up to group runs. I'm like very timid and 
just feel like I can't, I get like social anxiety. So I'm just curious, you know, how did you start to learn about the concept of a group run, know where to show up and sort of like insert yourself into the community? Well, I'm, I'm similar. I'm, I think as I become older, I'm becoming more introverted and appreciate my alone time. Um, so it's been a long time since I've actually joined a group run, but I will say when I, when I first moved to San Francisco, I took a couple of months to really find my footing and I wasn't really meeting people. And my sister actually found this running group. It was called SF Run Chug. And so each week they meet at a different bar, go for a run and then have drinks after. And so my sister said, well, you like running and you like drinking. So it's perfect for you. <laughs> And so the first one was like all the way across the city from where I lived and I didn't have a car at the time. So I almost backed out, but then said, come on, you'll enjoy this. And then it ended up being a blast and I met lots of great people the first time. And so um, so then it became easy to come back. But yeah, I think the first time can be intimidating, but I think I'm able to kind of switch, um, switch on to being extroverted and being <laughs> like my social risal. And so in the right setting, I'm, I'm able to do that. Sometimes it just takes pushing yourself a little bit and doing that self-talk of like, people will like you, <laughs> you're a worthy person, <laughs> affirmation. Is that group still around? I haven't heard of that. It sounds fun. I think so. You know, I haven't run with them in a long time. And my cohort, like we were all in our 20s when we first started and then everybody grew up and got married and had kids. And so I think a lot of the original people aren't doing it as much anymore, but I think there might be a next generation, but I don't much about them. <laughs> <laughs> do you find that, like, do you talk about running with your coworkers? Because I would imagine that the nature of your work is something that maybe there's more likelihood that people that are in your field run or have some kind of athletic outlet. I do a little bit. I, tr I try not to be the person who's always talking about running because <laughs> yeah. everybody wants to hear about it all the time. Um, so in my immediate settings, I don't think I have a ton of people who run seriously, but I think a lot of emergency room physicians and pharmacists and people do run. And so I have, I know people who know people who run. So I have a coworker whose husband runs. And so we've run a couple of races together and, and done a little bit of training. Um, but yeah, like I, I wait until people invite it. So if they ask today, when somebody asks what I did this weekend, I did. Yeah. Again. My little vision. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it nice when you're like, oh, you do that too? Like, you're you're a safe person that I can talk to about this that isn't going to like judge me or is going to be supportive of that. It's always nice to find those people. Um, I have a few people at work like that. Yeah. And I have to say that's been the nice thing about running podcasts is that you're able to kind of nerd out about it without bothering anyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were talking about, you know, nutrition and athletics and performance and you know, an integrative approach to health of all kinds. How much do you experiment with yourself on on all of this stuff? Um, a little bit. I mean, I I try to like my eating approach is I try to make sure that I'm getting in good foods like vegetables, proteins, and carbs. And then once I feel like I've gotten good nutrition, then whatever. If I'm still hungry, then I'll eat plenty of junk food too. Um, over the past few years, you know. It, as you get older, things just start to hurt more and feel worse. And so I never used to be a supplement person, but I'm starting to, to try some supplements. And I have to say all the Athletic Greens commercials are working on me because I just requested it for my birthday. Interesting. <laughs> I started with Athletic Greens. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I do a little bit of experimentation, but I also know like there's some things that work for me and and some that don't. And so I'm I'm not constantly switched, like making huge changes in my diets, but um, like little tweaks here and there. How do you balance like your own experience and what's worked for you with what to offer to your clients? Like I could imagine that that can be challenging of knowing that like you have it, you have experience in this based on your own identity as an athlete, your own, you know, challenges that you've gone through in your life. And yet you're in a very professional clinical role where I don't know, I didn't go to pharmacy school or med school or anything, but I'm assuming there's like a code of conduct and a a way that you should interact with patients. Like how do you know what to offer based on your own experience and what to hold back? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I mean, in working in mental health, having like good boundaries is not really wise because um, you don't want to overshare with patients and making sure that the focus is on the patient. I think I knew that working in an eating disorder setting wouldn't be a great idea for me. And so I really don't get a ton of eating disorder clients. Uh, well, we don't have anyone with an active eating disorder. And then a lot of people have disordered eating or body image stuff. And so um, I don't disclose to my patients my own history of my mental health, but I do share a little bit. I find that, you know, some of my patients have been working with them for years. And so you do develop relationships and they start to care about you. And then I think it was interesting going through pregnancy while I was working. Um, I mean, I didn't see a ton of people in person, but I did tell all my patients at some point that I was going to be going on maternity leave. And um, it's, it's really nice when your patients turn out to be really happy for you and they ask about the baby. And so I, I shared... If they ask a question, so most of the time, if it's a reasonable question, then I'll share like, oh, my baby's two years old. It's a girl. I do have pictures of her in my office um, and then kind of leave it at that. So I don't go into a ton of details about, about my life. And then when it's relevant, if something comes up, like I've started to recommend magnesium for some of my patients and that is something that I take myself. And so when I'm talking about it, then I'm not saying it's something I take myself. So if it's something that's not too personal... I'm open to sharing a little bit about that, but um, yeah, just not getting too deep into my own personal life. Yeah, that's so good. I just started taking magnesium. I went down the rabbit hole and I found out, I didn't know this. I was like, different types of magnesium. Like I was taking the <laughs> one type and they were like, oh, well, if you want sleep, you should be taking the other type. I was like, nobody told me this. How do I, mm-hmm. what am I, I work in marketing. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of mixed information out there and it's hard to really find good, reliable data. Yeah, that is that is the thing. It, it feels like lots of mixed information. And then there's also this kind of perpetual conversation around like, well, and the research is really limited, especially for like women or you get more specific. You were talking about taking a, a, a course or a certification where it's more on maternal and postpartum. And it's like, oh, like that's a whole other thing. And so, you know, that's where I that's where I get stuck. Like one person says, "Oh, it's all about magnesium biglycinate," and then I get obsessed with that. And then other people are like, "No, what? It doesn't matter." Or because you're a woman in your 30s, like that's not for you. And it's it's very difficult to to parse all of that out. I'm wondering, like in your own life or in your clinical setting, like does that come up? How do you how do you manage that? How do you kind of think through all of that? Yeah, well, I mean, supplements are especially difficult because they're regulated differently than prescription medications. And so, you know, any company can bottle something and say it it helps with supporting something. 
and then who knows? Um, and so there are ways that you can try to increase the chances that you have a good quality product. And then there actually is a bit of data out there about some supplements, even in pregnancy and lactation and uh, postpartum. And more, more and more research is coming out every day. I mean, there's something like a million papers published each year. So it can be really hard to stay on top of the data. Um, so I'm hoping to gather more information and try to stay up to date with, with that. Um, but also in pregnancy, sometimes there's not going to be information and then you have to try to extrapolate safety data in other ways and make some inferences in some recommendations. So yeah, supplements can be difficult. And then for prescription medications, I think it's also hard because for a long time, they just didn't study any of them in, in pregnant women. But there's more data coming out, especially surrounding women's mental health, um, antidepressants and pregnancy. So there's more data coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of yeah, lots of CE, lots of continuing education. And lots, <laughs> like particularly around pregnant women, I don't know if you experienced this, but just lots of judgment about whatever choice you make. Like it doesn't matter what you do, people are going to judge you. And I, I found her sort of late in my pregnancy, but I was so glad that I found Emily Oster, who is also a kick-ass runner. Like she just ran like her goal. She and I have the same goal, which is to beat Mark Zuckerberg 5K time. She just ran like dangerously close, but she's, anyway, she's very fast. Um, but you know, her books, Expecting Better, Crib Sheet, Family Firm, I think she has another one coming out. What I love about it is it like takes all these studies and it's like, there's actually not good data, but like, here's what we can conclude based on it at the end of the day, here's the information for you to make an informed decision because the information out there is so limited. And so she's really helpful, but then also seeing like the ability for more studies coming out, more people talking about this because it wasn't until I got pregnant that I realized like, I just wanted an answer. I just wanted someone to tell me like what to do. And there's like nothing out there because I mean, people don't understandably so like don't want to do studies in pregnant women, but it makes it really challenging. Yeah, I think there's, in some ways, there's not a lot out there, but also there can be so much information. Too you're much, not sure yeah. which one is going to be right for you. So I think it's a mix of like taking advice from your doctor and people that you trust, and then also listening to your body and, you know, making a decision and, and saying like, this is what I'm going to do. And I think most people who comment mean well, some of them might just be judgy and, and you can choose to put up a boundary around that. And then, yeah, just trying to make the best choice that you have with the information that you have in the moment. And if that doesn't work, then it's okay to pivot, okay to change your mind. Definitely. And reminding yourself of that. <laughs> and in 10 yeah. years, the recommendations are going to change anyway. <laughs> True. Yeah. And I feel like the whole field of, of mental health and psychiatry is, is about to change in a big way with some of the recommendations we make now are definitely probably not going to be relevant in 10 years. That's just the way it is. How does, like we talked a little bit about, do your coworkers know that you're a runner? Like how does running, you know, how did running influence? Yeah, they, they all definitely know. know. How did in, running influence your <laughs> career? But I'm also curious, like how does running influence sort of your day-to-day -day and like how you approach work um, and your ability to handle different work situations or you know, to take a risk, start your own practice, those sorts of things? Good question. Um, so with the day-to-day, -day, right now I'm not following a specific training plan, but I just try to take a look at my day and see where I could fit running in. And a lot of the times that means 
running back and forth from work. In terms of like how it's affected my personality and my my work personality, I'm not 100% sure. It's hard to... I think it's been so long that it's hard to separate out like run arisal from the rest of Rizal. Like I don't really think of myself as uh, like a big risk taker. But then, you know, trying to start this business is you know, somewhat risky, although I'm, I'm still working full time. So it's not... <laughs> maybe not a real risk. Um, but I think that it's more just my personality of being someone who's ambitious and and goal oriented and continuing to like wanting to continue to grow and learn. So, you know, I'm coming up on 10 years at my job and I'm still really grateful to have the position that I have. And it's a really great job. Um, and there's still downsides with it. And there's still more that I am hoping to get out of my career. And so I think that's why I've looked into and, and I'm exploring these other um, modalities in order to, to make it even better. And living in the Bay Area is very expensive as it turns out. That's right. You <laughs> got to have a side hustle. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is a cage fighter yeah. apparently on the side. So like him. <laughs> Like everybody's doing it. Um, tell us a little bit more about about your private practice. We we mentioned it, but you know what sparked the interest in doing this? Other than it's nice to have a side hustle. Um, how can you know who who's a potential uh, customer? How how could people get involved? Yeah. So thank you for for giving me the opportunity. Um, I think it it came up with me. I was. Um, a new psychiatrist started at our clinic and a lot of the psychiatrists I work with have private practices. And I always thought like, that would be nice to have have that opportunity. But because of the laws with pharmacists, we're not able to prescribe unless it's under a collaborative practice agreement. So that means that you need the supervision of of a prescribing physician. And um, and so I kind of jokingly said like, hey, do you need a pharmacist on your, your practice? And she said, yeah. And I was like, oh, ha, 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 thinking she was joking. Then we started talking and it it really kind of motivated me to, to look into it. So in the end, I don't think we're actually going to work together because it, it gets too complicated, but um, I'm just kind of exploring. And so, so far, the business that I've been able to do is working with psychiatrists, mostly in private practice, who have in-depth medication questions. So I'm researching and looking into that. And so mostly it's been through email if people are interested, I can meet by Zoom and, and have more of a conversation um, with one doctor. I've gone through their case list and just kind of thought out loud about cases. But I'm also hoping to work with patients who, you know, maybe are getting a medication from a primary care doctor and maybe aren't feeling like they're getting as much in-depth information about the medication or learning about different options or treatments. So hoping to have a more comprehensive conversation surrounding their mental health or, or yeah, anyone who second opinions. Um, I'm also, a lot of patients might want help with de-prescribing medications. And, you know, obviously in San Francisco, substance use disorders are a big thing. Um, And so I've done a lot of work with that. So um, just being able to consult with people who want a little bit more than what they're able to get through the current healthcare system. That's so, I mean, it's so interesting. And I'm really like taken by this idea of de-prescribing, particularly as a pharmacist, right? When you think... (laughs) You'd want to do, yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, I can just only speak from my own experience. I've throughout my life since I was about 15 or 16, but on various antidepressants and for different reasons have stopped cold turkey and the um, the withdrawal effects of coming off them can be terrible. 
And there's no support in that, right? You just kind of stop and you don't really know how to like talk to your doctor about it because they're not really, that's not what they're interested in, right? It's like, oh, well, let's figure out a different drug to get you on. And so what are those de-prescribing without, you know, giving away all your secrets because we want people to go see you and and pay you. Like what is some of the just high level de-prescribing look like? Yes, I think, you know, there's certain medications where you definitely don't want to stop cold turkey because that can be dangerous or extremely Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Um, But I found that really anytime you've been on a medication for a long time, your body gets used to it, your brain gets used to it. And so if it's possible, unless you're having severe side effects, I always try to taper people off of medications very slowly. And it it depends on the patient, depends on the situation, how slowly. But I think that um, just slowly getting off of medications is a much gentler way to treat our bodies Mm -hmm. and our brain. So really a lot of the times it's about tapering. There's some medications that even if you taper, it could still be uncomfortable. And so there are some techniques and tricks to try and help ease that. Sometimes supplements, sometimes adding in another medication temporarily can help. That's, I think that'll be helpful for a lot of people out there who (laughs) want to do that. Um, So in the time we have left, just a few minutes, let's get back to running. Like what, what does running look like for you now? And what do you hope it looks like in the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years? Um, well, I hope I'm still able and enthusiastic about running in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Um, like I said before, running right now is when I can fit it in. But on the weekends, I'm able to usually get out for an hour or two some days. So I'm able to, to keep up decent mileage and um, just trying to use it as a way to have some alone time, catch up on podcasts and get some movement and exercise. Um, on days when I'm alone with my daughter... Uh, it might be, it might look like getting on the treadmill during her nap time. Sometimes I'm running with her a little bit, but yeah, it's being creative and flexible with how and when you get it in mm-hmm. trying to, to get in most days. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm imagining at some point I might want to get back into racing more. Um, my daughter does seem like she's pretty active and so I don't want to push anything on her, but I'm hoping we can do some outdoor things together. And if we're able to run together, that, that could be really fun. Um, and so maybe I'll be able to get more into racing once life is a little less crazy. And then, yeah, just hoping to continue running and explore more trails. Um, yeah, I'd love to, I love to explore places on foot. So if I, I mean, vacations look different these days too, but before the baby I've done, um, like I did a running tour in Iceland, Ooh. did a tour in Paris. So love to do more running vacations oh. too. I was supposed to do like a running Very camp cool. in May of 2020. Never got my deposit back on that one. But um, yeah, yeah, that sounds so fun. <laughs> and then at some point, I'd love to develop more of a running network to have people to run. With, so. We can help with that. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> really, yeah. Yes, please. Um, well, that sounds great. I would love, I would have loved to have been able to like run with my my mom. I mean, what a, it's such a, a fun and like intimate, but not in a forced way thing. It's going to be forced. Sharing with training. You will. It's, it's forced Sorry, right Ellie. now. You will go in that jogging <laughs> stroller, whether you like it or not, child. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. Um, let's end with some fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? Um, I would say my most common one is just through the city. So I live right by Golden Gate Park. So kind of a loop through Golden Gate Park, Great Highway, Land's End, um, Presidio, Embarcadero. So stringing together a long run there. 
is always wonderful. And then if I'm going to be ambitious and go out of the city, then doing the point to points are really fun if you could figure out how to get back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah running distance and beach is really great, but it's like an hour drive. Yeah. So, uh, if you could go on a long run with anyone, who would it be? I, in college, I got really into Tupac and lately there's like a new series on him. Yeah. He seems like such an interesting person. And so if he were alive, I would love to go on a long run if he ran and just hear what he has to say. That's a great answer. We have not had that <laughs> answer. Um, you were mentioning that, you know, since the pandemic that you listen to more music and podcasts on runs. So what is, what's like a go-to song on your playlist, something that reliably will make you happy, feel dialed in? I actually don't really listen to music. It's mostly podcasts when I run, but I feel like I used to have, so in high school, I think one of my pump up songs was Madonna. Um, don't go for a second best baby. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do the test. I'm like, what is the song? What is it called? Yep. Yep. I don't know. That's not one. (laughs) It's great. Oh, two people listening are going to be yelling at us the title of that song. Yeah. Oh, I know. They're going to be like, please don't sing. And also, that song is obviously this song. (laughs) Okay. I need both of you to settle a debate in my family, in my household. Um, How early can I put up Christmaca decorations? I need a date. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> They're both like, ew, what? <laughs> I just say, I'm like not a very, my attention doesn't really go towards decoration. I'm so bad at decorating my house. Same. And I don't really put up decoration. I'm going to say December. Yeah. I also am like. I can't put them up earlier? Well. I mean, Thanksgiving runs in November, right? right? And you can't do it before. No, And I mean, Riza, like. I don't think I didn't grow up with a Christmas tree. I'm pretty sure you didn't like, so there wasn't this like tradition of like, we're going to go to the Christmas tree farm or whatever, (laughs) put it on the roof of our car and decorate it. And so in my family, it was just like, wait, Oh, Hanukkah's tomorrow. We better get that menorah out. Like that was kind of, (laughs) so. Yeah. I think we might bring kind of different emotions around the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. We have a blended family, so there's there it, it is a Christmaca, but I don't know. I think I feel like since the pandemic, I just like lean into joy. Like if it, that feels joyful to me, so I'm like, okay, uh, it's the end of August. Like, are we doing this? Well, so is it time? can I? You can't can skip. I? You can't skip holidays. Like, okay, All right. it's not. All right. So I'm I'm thinking about um about what I'm like what is that holiday? Halloween. That's the holiday. Halloween. <laughs> also, the song was called Express Yourself yeah. by Madonna, but... Um, okay, okay, yeah. good. So, you know, but apparently you can leave the Christmas tree up till January, according to Taylor Swift. So let's just go with her rules of holiday decorations. We'll we'll consult on that. Okay. And I got to say with the, the Christmas songs on the radio, if they start that too early, you just get so That's tired true. of them. So I feel like one yeah. month... Good amount of time. I don't need all the holiday music. I did hear that Starbucks is bringing back the pumpkin spice at the end of this month. Jesus. So <laughs> y'all better get ready. Okay. <laughs> um, enough of this nonsense. Uh, last <laughs> final. This is like a very important question. Um, burger, burrito, or pizza? I feel like I would have used to say pizza because I love pizza, but my partner currently isn't super into it. So lately it's been more burrito. Mm. Do you have a good and- spot that you like to go to? Yeah, so we're in the sunset. There's a underdog trace. Ooh. They're solid. Their salsa is 
<laughs> Amazing. Oh, good salsa. Well, that yeah. sounds great. Let's go for a run and then meet for a burrito and a beer. Rizal, thank you so much. Thank you for reaching out, for sharing your story and for everything that you do for the running community and mental health and substance abuse and helping people sort through everything and come up with better, more integrated solutions so that they can be happier, healthier, more more better versions of themselves. It's really appreciated and we appreciate you. So hope to see you out on a run and thanks again. Thank you guys so much. This was great. Thank you for listening to this episode with Rizal Berger. We will put the link to Rizal's website in our show notes. You can follow us at Runners of the Bay on Instagram and on X. You can send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please, if you have some time, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps new listeners find the show. I think now you can also leave a rating on Spotify. So if that's your listening platform of choice, please do that too. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you soon.